Liberty Station is brought to you by my good friends at Devoted Capital, where they believe how you profit matters. They're dedicated to helping you align your investments with your values, empowering you to a life well-lived. Welcome to Liberty Station. I am Bryce Eddy, and um, I'm excited for this episode because we had one of the most terrible circumstances happen here on this show. And I had my guest on uh, remotely, and we talked about something super important, and the episode disappeared from our files. And so we're going to repeat some of that conversation. Now, I think, uh, you know, all things are uh, by God's design, even bad mistakes. And so um, whatever we, um, well, I should say it, it can be used in his service. So I think this show will be even better than the one that we recorded. And it's even more appropriate because my guest has a book out that we are going to be talking about and a number, number of other things in the works that um, are super important. So with that, I've got uh, Dr. Mark McDonald on with me again. How are you, sir? I'm great. This is uh, amazing to be actually here in person rather than over a device with an internet connection because it just feels much more authentic and uh, and live. I love it. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I mean having live guests and in studio guests is always a lot better. It's a, you know it's warmer. You know the, the interaction I think gets to be a little bit deeper than you know yeah. when we're staring at each other over a screen. So yeah. So thanks for coming out. I know you're going to be speaking tonight and. Um, you're going to be talking about your your book here. Um, we're going to be releasing this um, here in a couple of days, um, and and so the people who are listening though will be listening uh, at a at a time that some you know news has broken and all that stuff. So we'll touch on that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to certainly touch on your book, but um, and some other things. But I want to hit what our first conversation was about. If yes. we can hit that. Um, we in this community um, and also nationwide, there is this fight going on where um, people are transgendering kids. And there is this social contagion that the youth is caught up in with respect to the transgender craze. And um, I think it's one of the major cultural battlegrounds right now that if we don't stop this thing cold, we're going to have a lot of broken people in just a few years. I completely agree with that. Yeah. So um, I, you um, are a psychiatrist and you have an active practice. And, with children. Yeah. And you were seeing these kids. Yeah. I'm seeing them in my practice every day. This age population, which is the, you know, eight to early 20s age group is a big, big portion of my practice. Yeah. Now I've read Abigail Schreier's book, mm-hmm. which I think is an incredibly important work. And it's it's a tough read, but mm-hmm. I think other people should read it. Irreversible because, Damage, I yeah. believe, is the title. It's excellent. I've read it as well. It's yeah. a great primer for families on this. If you need a book to read to educate yourself on what's going on, she's fantastic. Yeah. And what it hits is the fact, it highlights the fact that most of these transitions or the vast majority right now are girl to boy transitions, where in the history of the transsexual movement and transgender movement in the past, it was mostly males later in life. And so um, I know she's got some, you know, perspective in that uh, in the book, but what are your thoughts along those lines? Well, I think what she illustrates, and I agree with her as a primary point, is that historically the percentage of these transitioners was incredibly low. It was a fraction of 1%, and it was almost uniformly the other direction. Yeah, It was boys thinking that they're girls. And the fraction was fairly flat and even over decades. It did not increase after a certain cultural movement came afoot. And yet now, it's not only exploding in numbers, it's also going the other way. So it's girls primarily who are transitioning to boys. And what this shows, and I think she illustrates and proves this quite convincingly in her book, is that this is not a biological change. Genetics didn't suddenly shift in the last five to eight years. What shifted was our culture. This is a cultural contagion. And one example of how this spreads is in the school system. When you look at classrooms of girls where one girl comes out as a transitioner, as a transgender, within 
a quarter or a semester, you see 20, sometimes 40% of the other girls in her class transition as well. That cannot be a biological issue. That is absolutely a social and cultural one. And I think contagion is a good word. It's like a pandemic. It's like a virus. It spreads through close quarters and it infects entire classrooms and entire schools. Yeah. Now what the left would say to that, because I've had those arguments with them online, is what they would say to it is, well, it's just that we are becoming a more safe space for these kids to express themselves and share the fact that they have these feelings. That's complete nonsense. About five years ago, way before this became the contagion that it is, I had a couple of twin girls in my practice. I think they're about 14 years old. They were living with a fairly disturbed mother and a very, very passive father. He was an attorney. He wasn't even sleeping in the same bed as the wife, the mother. He eventually moved out. They were living separately. He didn't know how to stand up to his wife at all. And there was a lot of emotional problems in the family. Uh, There were a lot of uh, probably untreated mental illnesses in the mother. So the girls grew up in a pretty difficult home environment. They had depression. They had anxiety. I treated them with quite a few medications. Uh, They were put into therapy as well, individually, and they started to improve after about a year and a half. By the time they were just pushing 14, they started when they were 12, I realized that they had a lot of problems with peer support. They weren't really integrated into their social uh, milieu, and I was concerned that they were becoming very isolated, even though their mood was improving. So I recommended that one of them join a peer therapy group adolescent peer therapy. So you do a group therapy and you meet and sit with other girls, primarily your age with a therapist who will help to confront some of these social challenges using her as a, a guide or a, um, uh, a monitor really not, not so much a therapist. Well, to my shock, a few months later, one of the girls came back to my office, bright, cheery, walked in. I'd never seen her like this sitting upright, and said, I'm really excited. I feel so much better now. I said, I'm so glad. What, what did you learn? What happened? I discovered the source of all my problems, why I'm depressed, why I'm struggling so much. I said, really, what is it? She said, I'm a boy. And I just, I about froze. I said, what do you mean you're a boy? Yes, this is the reason why I'm having so many problems. I never realized this, and now I do. Well, how did you discover this? Well, therapist Amy explained to me why I was struggling, and all the girls in my group, they supported me, and they affirmed my identity, my new identity. And so she changed her name. She cut her hair. She started wearing jeans and t-shirts and she became a boy. And I turned to her and I said very calmly, but with, with conviction, I said, I appreciate what you just said. I understand this is a big change for you. However, I think there's a lot more to it than that. This is a very complex problem. And I really strongly encourage and recommend that you don't do anything permanent at least until you turn 18, because this may resolve on its own. Her face just dropped. And she turned to me and she started stuttering. Tears came to her eyes. She got up, she walked out. She was expecting me to be as affirmative and supportive as the therapist and the other kids were. I wasn't. She left. I never saw her again or her sister or the mother, but I did hear that they were being treated a few months later at UCLA in a pediatric clinic with cross-sex hormones. We have two major tragedies in this country that I take personally, and it's poor health and veganism. Battle both by ordering from my friends at Good Ranchers. 85% of all grass-fed beef is imported from other countries, but because they process it here, they can slap the product of USA label on it. Because of this, over 100,000 independent American farms and ranches have closed. Good Ranchers sells 100% American meat. A Good Ranchers subscription locks in your price to protect you against inflation. Enter code LIBERTY at checkout for $30 off plus free shipping or go to GoodRanchers.com slash Liberty. Every item is steakhouse quality and you can order the finest steaks, seafood, and chicken at half the price of those other online meat guys. And I'll tell you, in direct head-to-head competition in my discriminating household, Good Ranchers just tastes much better. Enter code LIBERTY at checkout for $30 off plus free shipping or go to GoodRanchers.com slash Liberty. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. 
Yeah. Now we're trying to, uh, we're being gaslit that that's not really happening. That was five years ago. Yeah. Um, and as you know, you know, we've got great warriors in the fight right now across the country that are exposing what these hospitals are saying in their own videos and online and suggesting that they're doing and admitting to, um, and then as soon as the spotlight gets pointed on them, then they pull those things down off their website. They get That's real right. quiet. They say, oh, it's not really happening and all that. Matt Even Walsh though, has been exposing this. Yeah, Matt Walsh has been, um, libs of TikTok, uh, others right. exposing it in their own, you know, their own words, their own websites, their own videos. Um, and then the, uh, the whole entirety of the left supports the idea that, oh, no, that never happened. Those videos never existed. You guys are spreading misinformation That's and right. disinformation. Now, what they're saying about this social contagion is that, okay, they're making all of these kids happy now, and they're, they're saying that, okay, we're lowering their risk of suicide. Um, you know, they manipulate the parents oftentimes, as you know, do you mm-hmm. want a living um, son or a dead daughter? That's right. And they, um, which is really wicked um, and and very, very, very manipulative. Um, and I, and my heart goes out for those families that don't know what to do, um, because they almost don't have a choice with the pressure that is on therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists now, because the trend even towards your licensing is this demand for gender affirming care, which I'm concerned about that trend across the United States, because the reality is you should be as a therapist, a psychologist, or a psychiatrist affirming reality and helping them to see reality and helping them to yeah. move through that confusion, not embrace it and say, okay, I'm entirely something different than, you know, what biology says or, you know, what God made me to be. There's a article that has been voted or named number one journal article of the year, I believe this past year, by the American Academy of Pediatrics that misstated and misquoted stats intentionally to reach a conclusion that those children, those adolescents who receive cross-sex hormones, who receive puberty blockers, and who receive surgery to remove breasts, penises, or create false vaginas, that those children, those adolescents, fare better in their emotional and physical well-being and have less risk of suicide than those who just wait it out and get traditional therapy. It's completely untrue. The data was actually falsified. He was called out. He was proven to be a liar. And the American Academy of Pediatrics held up that article, that research article, as evidence to support their position that, as you say, doctors, therapists have a right and obligation even to tell parents, you can either have a live girl or a dead boy. Now, that is so profoundly beyond unethical. I would say it's actually borderline on evil. Yeah. And it is being led by the actual medical profession itself. So uh, parents are put into this position now of not only being intimidated and coerced by the therapist, the teacher, or the doctor, that's sort of the evil triumvirate that's pushing all of Mm -hmm. this, but also by the medical organizations and associations that are supposed to support the doctors and the patients in the field of pediatrics. So where do you turn as a parent? Where do you get good information? They're in a very difficult position. Well, um, on top of that, they're making the move as they did like in Canada and other places, they're calling it conversion therapy. So if you are a, a religious institution, you know, then they're going to hammer down on you. Um, under that same category mm-hmm. and and uh Canada already is uh prosecuting people they're way um, ahead of the u s now yeah and and we're we're moving in that direction we are. very quickly we're almost there yeah um the other thing that I keep thinking about along those lines is it's too early to tell, and what I mean by that is some of these folks that are um you know arguing with me or criticizing what we're saying here on the show about this subject is that um you know, yes, it's reducing suicides, it's making happy people, all that stuff. Okay, we've been doing this right now at this pace for, what, a couple of years? Let's look to the future when you've transitioned all of these young girls and cut off their breasts. What is it going to look like 10 years from now? Because as we're seeing already, 
the increasing number of detransitioning folks that are coming out that were kind of the early pioneers in it that got sucked up into it early. They're coming out and they're they're screaming like Paul Revere, you know, do not do this. Stop. You know, don't run off this cliff. We're going to have so many people who are unhappy and we're going to have so many people that are angry with their parents and suicidal. And I mean, it's it's going to be, I think, a, a complete mess. You can see where this is going to be by looking at the future through Denmark, which published a study last year with thousands, not just a few dozen, not just a few hundred thousands of adults. And it was over a period of, I believe, more than 10, maybe close to 20 years. It was a very long-term study, large body count, showing, I believe it was around a 60% increase in suicide among the surgical transitioners versus the non-surgical transitioners, meaning the ones that were just given therapy and allowed to work it out on their own. This is major evidence that if we continue down this path, in 10 or 20 years, that's what we're going to be seeing. Yeah. It's already there. Yeah. I, I think it's going to accelerate really, really quickly um, because that it only takes a, f- a few years into, I think, adulthood where these, you know, young people will, will see that they made a horrific mistake and they will come to the conclusion that they were too young to, to make these permanent changes. Most yeah. of them are never going to have a um, real um, satisfying sex life because no. of what the hormones, the puberty blockers and those surgeries do to them. Um, you don't have functioning sex organs nope. after this. Um, you have the, uh, 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 well, grotesque appearance of the, of being the other sex. Um, you're not going to have a fulfilled life in no. that way. You cannot actually nurse a child as a woman. And I mean, a real woman, <laughs> real yeah. biological woman, um, once your breasts are removed because the nipple is surgically cut from the breast and then reattached and it severs the ducts that conduct the flow of milk. You will never be able to nurse a child if you have this so-called top surgery, even if you try to reverse it with the implants and so on. These yeah. are serious mutilations okay. of the body that cannot be resolved later. And, and they pretend like with puberty blockers or these surgeries, you know, double mastectomy. Oh, well, you can just fix it later. No, it's not you true. Know, oh, you can just unpause the puberty um, and, and have it, you know, retake effect. And that's it's not true. It's not true at all. It's a lie. And there is zero medical evidence to date that any of these treatments, both chemical or surgical, result in improved mental health or physical outcomes over a longitudinal period, say 10 or 20 years. Not one single study. The only ones we have show just the opposite, that those who do not get surgeries or cross-sex hormones or uh, puberty blockers have a reduced risk of suicide over the next 10 to 20 years. Well, and if you just look at uh, sort of the meta-analysis or metadata on suicides of the youth in general, um, it's not as if it's gone down at all. In fact, it's gone up. No, it's and, increased. And we look at right now, um, you know, this is supposedly the most favorable time for people to affirm whatever they want to affirm and be whoever they want to be. And I uh, I would posit that it's the confusion and chaos that we're sowing into these kids' life, not just on this gender stuff, but all that we did over the last couple of years and everything else that is creating more damage than, than anything we'd done in our past history. I think if you want to boil it down, and this is a explanation that I have that crosses over into a lot of different territories. It's like a, a, a conduit of water that runs beneath the surface and, and fills all these, these swampy, marshy lakes that we have that are feted here in our, our contemporary United States. I believe that it is the, the affirmation and support of narcissism which is in fact resulting in this destruction to encourage and affirm, as they say, a child to pursue a fantasy, which is counter to reality is simply supporting and affirming the normal, typical confusion of youth, which is expressed through narcissism. It is up to the adults to push down against that, to to say to the children, to say to the adolescents, your confusion, your feelings, your struggles, although they're real, they're really not that important in the larger world. They're not. And if we focus on you and your struggle and solving your struggles by making these catastrophic changes, these like, as they call them, lawnmower parents, that they 
they mow down the lawn in front of the child so the child doesn't have to actually walk on top of the grass, you're not doing your child a favor. It's the struggle that helps yeah. the child grow, not the hormesis. removal of the struggle. Hormesis. It's that that concept of the you know positive stress. So just enough stress that makes you That's grow, right. makes you strong. You need that in every area of your life, physically, spiritually, mentally. You know, push against a little resistance. When you're young, you know the things that you think are stressful and difficult are very very small. If you're a mature adult, you look at those things and you go, okay, come on, kid. And it's our job to tell them you're going to get through this and you'll be stronger. You know, Th- and, this and is- it's job to, to guide them through. With the consumer price index increasing yet again, the stock market has been in absolute turmoil. What's our illustrious leader doing to quell the surge of inflation? Oh, yeah, spending more money and adding to the burden. Don't bury your head in the sand while your savings get decimated. Do something about it. Diversify into gold with Birch Gold. Text LIBERTY to 989898. Birch Gold will send you a free info kit on protecting your savings with gold in a tax-sheltered account. These are great people with almost 20 years' experience converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metals IRAs. Don't allow the left to devalue your savings. Text LIBERTY to 989898 and claim your free info kit from Birch Gold. Again, you can own physical gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account, and Birch Gold will help you to do it. Join their thousands of satisfied customers and secure peace of mind for the upcoming storm. Text LIBERTY to 989898 and secure your future with gold. Do it today. This is, Bryce, almost like you could, you could even put like two dots on the number line, starting with affirmation participation trophies right. and then leading to affirmation transgender surgeries. It's, it's when we start to protect children from the, the healthy stress of reality, like, for example, losing a soccer game. Yeah. And instead saying, you know what? It's too painful. I can't see my child cry and he can't tolerate it, which is just another way of transposing your anxiety onto your child, which is also a problem. Yep. So we're going to fix that, fix in quotes, by giving him a trophy. Now he's not going to be able to understand the difference between success and failure. And eventually, if he's confused, we're just going to solve the confusion identity problem by cutting off his penis or chopping off her breasts. I mean, this is this is really the end point of where we started 10 or 15 years ago. Um, I could not agree more. Um, and I think you are absolutely right. Um, let's, uh, let's shift gears, unless there's anything else you want to say about that. Um, you, you've written a couple of great books. Um, your, your first book, United States of Fear, um, I thought was excellent, and I thought it was incredibly timely. Um, and what, you were one of the, I think, first that really articulated the um, dis-ease that we had here in the U.S. Um, that, that I think existed, um, you know, long before COVID. And I think you make some of those points, too. The cultural um, antecedents of the mass delusional psychosis. Yes. And uh, um, it, it got put on full display during COVID. That's a good way of putting it. And yeah. you you did such a great job articulating that. And I, I think um, everybody should uh, listen to your talks on that and, and read that book as well. Well, you've written a part two to it, a follow-up um, called Freedom from Fear, which is a 12-step guide to uh, national recovery. And an individual one. And, yeah. To and, start with. Uh, and I think you, I, I, I read it. Um, I think you do a, a, a great job of laying out the prescription using that 12-step model of, you know, how we free ourselves. Um, the overarching thing to me is um, that you're, it's a call to embrace maturity. That's actually a great synopsis uh, in a lot of ways of the book, which I think is equally apt when you're discussing addiction. Yeah. Because addiction is fundamentally, a, it's an arrest of development. It's a freezing of the maturation process. And I don't mean that as an indictment or a criticism. That's just what it is. And it's only when you allow yourself to grow and mature and suffer those pains that you can give up the cheat, which is the drug or whatever the addiction is that right. you're stuck with. And I think that's a, a good way, I think, of putting it in the way of expressing what I'm prescribing in this book. It's in a nutshell, we need to grow up, we need to mature, and here's the steps for us to reach that point. And this is the process to overcome the addiction is maturity. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, um, if you would, let's highlight and hit some of those steps. Um, 
you know, we don't have to go through all 12, but, uh, but let's, uh, let's give a little bit of a taste, um, and, uh, and, and go through mm-hmm. kind of that prescription. What well, starts with the most obvious, which I think everyone who's familiar personally or through secondhand information of the recovery or 12 step model of AA, which is acknowledging that you're an addict. Yeah. Uh, you know, my name is Bryce Eddy and I'm an alcoholic. Right, right. <laughs> That's how it always starts, right? And if you can't only say on that- Only Saturday afternoon. <laughs> you're, you're, you're an alcoholic only at certain times. I'm yeah. a restricted alcoholic. The moment that you can acknowledge that you have an addiction, that's the moment that you start to mature. Right. Because it starts with accountability. And you can't be accountable unless you live honestly with your own faults and failings. That's yeah. the starting point. It and, has to be. And I, th- I think right now, um, you know, is if you go to um, the airport and take a flight, there's still about 50%, uh, maybe less now. The last time I, I flew, um, I think more and more people are, are okay, I'm going to throw away my mask. But there's, but the, among the people the, that, you know, 40 or 50%, they're still wearing masks. There are people that are wearing masks, wearing shields that, I mean, it's almost as if it's a, um, you know, a, a game to them or, or like you're saying, an addiction, like they are really into it. Somebody, completely and I, in it. somebody, and I can't remember, and maybe it was you, uh, called them con, uh, COVID enthusiasts. Like they were, they're really into uh, all of this stuff. Like a pot enthusiast. Yeah. <laughs> or, or a cigar enthusiast, although I don't consider people who smoke cigars addicts, but there is a sort of enthusiast quality to this. It's like a club. Yeah. And they feel that they're part of this club and it, it sets them apart from other people. My, my daughter who works um, uh, for a restaurant um, remarked that the other day two older ladies who were very engaging to her and very polite and sweet. And, and this restaurant was never particularly uh, mask oriented or anything like that. They at best went through the motions. Um, but these two ladies came in and were making comments about, no, we don't want to sit over there. That's too close to that table and that, you know, and, and and they were they were uh, almost like a sports. T- we we better sit here and up oh, this this uh, fork touched the uh, table. So you know, can we get new forks and you know different things? And of course, they were you know wearing their masks and and um, and my daughter was describing it like they were into it. You know, they they were wrapped up in in that world. And I believe that that we are. Um, you know, still seeing these folks that um, you know embraced it. Now, what she remarked on as well is they were probably like this before. Yes. They probably were um, caught up in in fears and hypochondria and all of these sort of ways before, but then COVID gave people the permission to embrace it. They gave it, this is very interesting. There was a multi-step process involved. One was the, the fear, the, the trauma, that followed from the fear, the conditioning that followed from the trauma and the fear. And all on all around, there was this aura of validation, of encouragement, of, I would say, bordering on virtue signaling at one point. And it still is that way to some degree, that fertilized this process. And the process. I described in one line of this book, uh, Freedom from Fear, which is that over the last three years, our social norms have been redefined. And they have been redefined by the most fearful among us and not the most courageous. When you have a redefinition of social norms, that allows for the worst elements in ourselves to be put on full display, just like you described those women at the restaurant. They did not change in the last three years, but the norms changed. Right. So their fears, their anxieties, their, their predilections to be irrational and to express their disdain for those around them that were not following the proper health codes is now not just available to them. It is, it is called out on the top of the mountaintop with the expectation, and they're correct about this, nobody will turn to them and shame them, shush them tell them to go take a hike, that they're crazy, at best, people will just sort of turn away. Right. That is what's changed. Those people are the same. It's just that their behavior has changed. It's like the broken windows policy in New York from the 1980s. Right. Crime rises and festers and multiplies when you don't attack the basic roots 
of decay in your society. And this is why I've said recently, this may be a bit controversial, but I stand behind it. I believe that masks should be banned. Mm. Banned socially, absolutely, and perhaps even banned by law. My body, my choice. Oh, really? Well, are you able to urinate in public? Are you able to pass out drunk in public? Are you able to graffiti buildings in public? Are you able to litter in public? No, 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 and no. Why? You can do that at home. Absolutely. I don't care what you do at home. But when you enter into society, you enter into a social contract. And that social contract requires you to behave in a certain way that we all agree upon. And one of those is, for example, you have to wear clothing if you're outside your home, unless you're in a nudist colony. Right. And another one is, and was at least until three years ago, social contract. You must show your face. If you yeah. don't show your face, you're considered to be up to no good or you're a Muslim woman. That's it. Or you're a surgeon who just left the OR and you forgot to take your, your yeah. mask off, right? <laughs> That's it. There's no other option. But now it's completely appropriate, if not virtuous, to show a mask rather than your face. I think we need to stop that, not by allowing people to have choice. I'm generally a very pro-choice fairly libertarian person. But in this case, I actually believe that there is a higher order, which is the social cohesion and social health of our community. And it is being ruined and destroyed by people who are wearing masks in the same way that it is ruined and destroyed by people who are lying in a pool of their own vomit, drunk, naked in a park. We don't allow that. We shouldn't allow that. We shouldn't wear the masks. That's what I think. Do you know whom you're voting for? With every product you buy and every dollar you spend, you are casting your vote. Devoted Capital offers values-based investing portfolios that are designed to help you reach your financial goals, all the while making a positive impact on your life and the world around you. They are dedicated to educating, engaging, and empowering you to be wise with your investments and to equip you to be knowledgeable with your vote. Visit their website at devotedcapital.com to learn more about values-based investing or dial 805-372-0821 to speak to your values investor advocate today. Investment advisory services offered through Alliance Advisory and Securities, LLC, registered investment advisor. Yeah, well, I, you know, the libertarian in me doesn't want to give the government one more thing to do. Um, but I believe that we need to be bringing back shame in our culture. That would be a great start. And, and um, I think we, um, we lost that with um, all kinds of things, right? You know, if, if there's somebody that comes in, um, you know, dressed extremely inappropriately to a coffee shop, now nobody says anything. People Nothing. just look away. People just like, oh, and they get uncomfortable. And you would not have seen that 20 years ago. You would have seen the, the proprietor or the manager or or fellow patrons go get out of here, you know, and tell them to, you know, to buzz off or, you know, put, put a shirt on or, you know, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and we just didn't tolerate a lot of things. Um, I argue too, that it was a much better time when we were less civilized. Mm -hmm. And if you got out of line and, you know, let's say you, you know, uh, looked at, uh, at somebody and said, Hey, where's your mask? You know, you better put on a mask or that needs to go up your nose or whatever, you know, um, you might get a knuckle sandwich. Uh huh. Um, and it was a it was a better time when when there was a little bit more of a mind your own business with certain mm -hmm. things, you know, but we've lost a lot of that stuff as we become over civilized, because what we've really become is is weak. I think we've become weak through an expression and a validation of narcissism. Yeah, because they're an they're antithesis of one another. What you just <laughs> described that that counter social cultural force of the group turning against the individual, not legally, but socially, when that individual goes past the bounds of what's yeah. considered decent, that helps to contain the expression of narcissism. When you take that away, when you say, no, it's all you, 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 you do whatever you want, you fly your flag, be free, that invites the narcissism in all of us, and we all have some of it, to yeah. just go on full flagrant display. You know, that's that's actually a great point because I didn't think about that that way because almost all of these things are, um, you know, a, a narcissism. So the Shame is the counter to narcissism. Yeah, so the person telling you to, you know, put, you know, uh, put that over your nose or you're, you're not mm -hmm. wearing your mask right or, you know, invading your business, that's, that's their narcissism. There. That's not public shame. Yeah. That is individual narcissism. Yeah. That's an important distinction. And then the person, and, and this did 
happened to me. I was the one that told the person <laughs> to get out of the of the uh, the the restaurant or the coffee shop. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, I mean, the woman was you know na- uh, naked, boobs hanging out. Yeah. Um, you know, probably mentally disturbed. Probably. I don't know, but the but the attitude that she came in there with was look at me, I'm on display to make people uncomfortable. That's like different was, than someone who's purely mentally ill, who's yeah. just naked, filthy, wandering around, completely clueless. That's not narcissism. That's mental illness. Yeah, no, this person it, is mentally ill too, but in a different way. Yeah, Personality yeah. Uh, disordered mental yeah, illness. Yeah, and, and it was. It was, it was intentional. A, it was, motive, it was to make, I'm here to provoke. I'm here to make you uncomfortable and you don't have a right to say anything because this is about me. And if you do, I'm going to go after you. Yeah. That's it, now the attitude. Yeah. It was, it was one of those displays and yes. I could feel it and saw it and everybody was really uncomfortable and, mm-hmm. and this, uh, intentionally standing too close to people yeah. and getting in their, you know, in their space. And it was one That's of those right. things. And so I, I, I told them off and told them to get out of there and they, they complied. Which is the expression of strength, which is the other element, which is so important. Now, I don't know chicken and the egg, you know, does narcissism thrive in uh, the presence of weakness and cowardice? Probably. Yeah. But at the same time, if you have strength present, that contains the narcissism because those people who are motivated to provoke. They tend to be bullies. They tend to not be very courageous right. people. They prey on the weak. They prey on the passive. And if there's a room, kind of like what we say often, uh, you know, a well-armed civilian uh, population is a very civil one. It's very rare for people to go in with guns into restaurants and bars and uh, grocery stores where 50% of the people are concealed carry because yeah. that's, that's strength. No, it just they're, doesn't they're happen. It doesn't happen. So if you go into a restaurant or a bar where everybody there is ready at a moment's notice to stand up and say, get your butt out of here. We're going to throw you out. You're not going to see the, the bare-boobed provocateur wandering around. He or she is going to go into a place where there's not going to be any pushback. There's only going to be fear. Yeah. No, I, I I think you're right. So uh, keeping keeping on the the theme of your book, give us another one of the uh, steps to find our way out of. Well, I just went over it actually indirectly, which is about narcissism. Yeah, uh, how your fear specifically, because I read about fear in this book, your fear doesn't matter to the rest of the world. Yeah, uh, there was a great uh, spray painted uh, fence that I saw as a meme, a photograph of it that was posted in 2020. It's probably my favorite image that came out of this pandemic which was your fear. No, my liberty does not end where your fear begins. Yeah. I thought it was fantastic. And that, that is, in a nutshell, what I'm describing in the chapter on narcissism, which is, except on an individual level, not a societal one. And this is about the individual. This is not a way directly to change the nation, which was the thrust of my first book, uh, United States of Fear. It wasn't individuals of fear. It was United States of Fear. This book is about freedom from fear from the individual position going up vertically, mm-hmm. meaning the individual, the recovery of all the individuals as a collective will then consequentially allow the nation to recover. It's bottom up, not top down. That's the main difference in the thrust of the two books in terms of direction. And what I wrote in that chapter on narcissism essentially is that the fact that you're scared, the fact that you're addicted to fear should not drive the actions, behaviors, and thoughts of those around you. And you need to contend with the fact that as much as you're afraid, it's your, it's your duty, it's your job and duty to contain that fear and not to impose it onto other people. And that is the antithesis of narcissism. That's modesty. That's humility. That's, as you said earlier, that's maturity. That's a very, very important part of this book. And it coincides with another part and another chapter, which is on accountability. And that's something that's also utterly lacking in our society now and has been lacking demonstrably in the last three years. Could not agree more. The removal of accountability is perversely now a virtue. I'm not accountable for anything. I can show off my chest in public. I can yell and scream at people not wearing masks. I can fire my best workers because they don't want to take an injection and not have to apologize because I am endowed with this benediction of protecting health and safety. Yeah, along those lines, I mean, as you know, the the CDC came out that uh, you know, okay, the vaccination, the va- the unvaccinated should not be treated any differently than the vaccinated. Now, um, there's been no apologies to the people that None. have been fired or the people that were forced to be vaccinated oh, against no. their will, which many people were. Many people very reluctantly went along with it because they felt the threat to their livelihoods. Um, but the people who are fired, you know, they're not necessarily getting their jobs back and they certainly aren't getting no. apologies. No. 
And, and that is a, a, you know, wild lack of accountability for what these people put us through. We can't, in my view, move forward as a country, as a nation, until there's a movement of accountability. And I am not holding my breath for accountability at the highest levels. Yeah. But I am optimistic, and I think with good reason, that individual Americans who have erred and who have wronged others, just as addicts have caused damage to themselves and to their family, friends, and people they love, individual Americans in the last three years who have generally good moral character but who have become addicted to fear and in that addiction state they have harmed others, that they can hold themselves accountable and that they can then apologize to others that they've injured and that there can be amending of those individual relationships just as there is in AA. And if that can spread, if that can become a pandemic, then I think we can actually retake our nation. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, going back to the first part of our conversation on the um – uh, transgender issue when these kids and these people who were pushed down this path and, um, you know, start to regret and start mm -hmm. to detransition, the um, most vocal voices in favor of this will not be held accountable, will not apologize, uh, will not, you know, go on the news now and say that they were wrong. Um, and I think that unfortunately is true of all of these things that we've been experiencing in our culture now. And it emboldens those people because they know that there is no accountability. Just like the riots in the last couple of years, yeah. that big summer rioting that we had a year and a half ago, the people that rioted who were not arrested the very first day, they allowed the spread, the contagion of anarchy throughout the country. It started in Minneapolis and it spread to all the major cities in the U.S. If Minneapolis, if the Minneapolis police had been empowered by their commanding officers by the local politicians, by the federal government to some extent, to quash that and hold that group of 250 people yeah. accountable, we wouldn't have seen the federal building burned down in Portland 90 days later. And you're, you're Chaz, right. That would not have happened. I guarantee it. We know how to handle uh, rioters. We knock heads. <laughs> and, and, it if, works. and if you're allowed to knock heads right in the beginning now um it's it's something i talk about regularly because you know we we consult on um arrest and control and mm -hmm. some of those things in in, in what we do yeah. and uh, um in order to be effective um and in order to reduce the need for violence in those situations you need to have quick fast and effective violence and it be done that's right and and because it wasn't handled that way, because it could have been handled literally not just the first day, in the first few hours of something like that, if it was swift, if when they were told to disperse and they didn't, you know, again, some heads were knocked, it would have been done. And it would have been done quickly and you would not have had the destruction. You would not mm -hmm. have had the lives lost. You would not have had the, the you know, people killed. You would not have had uh, Kyle Rittenhouse have to, you know, kill those uh, uh, pedophiles and felons. Um, I mean, a whole bunch of a uh, series of things would not have happened had they appropriately, swiftly and quickly with effective violence put that down at the beginning. This asks, tell, make philosophy which police are trained to enforce is very effective yeah and it's just as effective in parenting yeah i know a grandfather who recently told me that when my grandkids acted out and they didn't follow my instructions i would look and see what they were holding in their hand and if it was a toy or a cell phone i would take it from them and i'd smash it onto the floor and then i'd walk away i kind of froze i said that's pretty violent and he said yeah but I only had to do it once. And yeah. I only had to do it once with the oldest kid. And the oldest kid told the next oldest kid, don't tick off grandpa. He breaks your stuff. <laughs> and that was um, the end of it. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's hit on that uh, really quickly because, uh, you know, we a lot of what we're going on and, and facing today is because of a lack of firm parenting. Yes. And uh, uh, the interesting thing about that is, you know, that grandfather was right. Um, if you do something effective uh, early on, um, you will have the obedience that you need. Mm -hmm. um, I can count on my hands the total number of times that I had to spank my daughters. It was very, very rare. And it was also uh, administered um, very lightly um, because we did it early enough. And we did it just often enough that we got the desired result. Mm -hmm. I also did not have to spank all three of my daughters because <laughs> of personality differences too. Mm -hmm. 
as well. So each kid, you know, the way you discipline kids, and this is for the parents out there, you discipline up to the point of effectiveness. So what you are doing is getting the desired result. And for some kids, you know, if you have a spectrum of of punishment, right, from, you know, uh, taking taking a toy away all the way to, you know, a, a spanking, right, which is not hitting, you liberal turds, um, it, it, you you maybe only have to take a toy away or do a timeout or do whatever it is for some kids. Some kids, you have to do a longer timeout. Some kids, it's a little, a little smack on the hand, a little pat on the diaper. Some it's a, it's an actual spanking, but if you do it to where they, whatever that threshold of that personality understands, okay, you're right. I'm sorry. I'll do what's told. And you do it without anger, you know, which is not always easy as a parent, but you do it with love and you do it with, okay, Hey, I'm sorry. And you explain, here's why I had to punish you. Here's why you need to listen to me. You go through that process. You will have great kids if you're consistent and you do that with love and you don't go overboard. You see how you just incorporated all the aspects that I described in the book. You counter the narcissism of I'm ticked off because you child upset me. No, actually that's not it. It's not that I'm ticked off. It's that my child violated a rule. So I'm not doing this to make myself feel better. I'm doing it because I love my child and I want this child to grow up. So that's the first point. The second is accountability. Yeah. What is the purpose of the spanking? Is it punishment? Well, yeah, it is, but it's also accountability. You are holding your child accountable and it depends which child and what level of sensitivity that child expresses, Mm -hmm. what type of accountability action you take. Maybe it is just taking away a toy or doing a timeout, but maybe there needs to be some physical discomfort because the toy and the timeout, that just doesn't register with that child. Yeah. So it's, as you said, imposing the degree of accountability up to the level that's necessary and not going further so that that child recognizes that you're serious and that if there is no change, things are going to get worse and harsher for him or her. Well, because, and I'll, and I'll say this, if you don't discipline your kids, the world will unmercifully beat them down. Yes. And so you have to do it because you have that ability to be loving, ability to be merciful, ability to do it appropriately. And it is your job. You need to give the kids what they need, not always what they want, but what they need, not always what you want too, because you can overly love a child and you can, you can wreck them by being overbearing with your love and wanting to do that lawnmower or what I call the Zamboni thing, (laughs) making the eyes smooth in front of them so that they never have consequences. You know, that may be what you want and how you show them love, but that's not what they need. So you have to figure out what your child needs and then give that to them. Because if you don't, if you don't discipline them, the world will, and, and it might destroy them because it is Unmerciful. You are the most invested person in your child's life. There's never going to be anyone else up until probably maybe marriage with spouse that is as invested in your child's success as you. So why not take on that responsibility? Are you afraid? Are you weak? Are you worried about them withdrawing their love from you? If that's the case, then you don't deserve to be a parent. The role of a parent is not easy. When you took that child on, you took on the responsibility of making some sacrifices, perhaps financially, perhaps physically, sleep, um, emotionally. And if you can't handle that, then, then you're not fit to be a parent. I get so frequently these complaints or challenges, I should say, from parents when I tell their kid or tell their, yeah, I do that, tell their kid, uh, you shouldn't have a cell phone. You shouldn't have an iPad. You shouldn't have a device. Flip phone, maybe that's about it. And the parent says, oh, well, wait a minute. I, I, kid, I couldn't do that. My, my child would hate me. Yeah. I would be ostracized. I said, Really? You're allowing your child to control you because your child is making threats? Are you kidding me? I had a girl in my practice just recently with her parents there, completely spoiled, lovely family, really nice people, not not narcissistic in any way, just weak, especially the mother. And this girl was almost arrested because she at school had threatened to kill one of the other students. And she's going to college. She's starting college in a few months. And I said to her, to her face and to her parents' faces, I said, you pull that stunt in Chicago when you start school in January? I said, you're going to go to jail. And she just looked at me shocked like no one had ever told her this. Yeah. And her mother said, listen to the doctor. And you know what she said? She turned to her mother and she rolled her eyes at her mother in my presence and in the presence of her father and said, girl, please. <laughs> and I stared at both the parents. I said, is this the way she speaks to you at home? And the mother just sort of gave me this shrug like, yeah, all the time. I said, that's the problem. Yeah. 
Parents, do your job. That's it. That's all I ask you to do is do your job and stop complaining. Yeah. And sometimes Amen. they just don't want to do it. And yeah. then that's that's the fruit that they that they get well, from their Well, it fruit. is hard. It is work. It's not easy you at know? all. It's it, very difficult. It requires you to to you know really rise to the occasion yes. and figure these things out. Show and, strength, yeah, humility, sacrifice, perseverance, all the qualities that your child should be seeing in you that you should be modeling. You think that it's going to be better for you if you befriend your child. Yeah, it is in the short term, yeah. but I guarantee you're going to have a rotten adult in 18 years. Guarantee. I've never seen an exception to that. Yeah, because you're not raising a friend. You're not. That's not your role. Yeah, no, you're, you're trying to equip your, your child for life. And, right. and in that equipping them for life, you know, you're, you're, you've got to give them skills, give them things. You have, to, you have to make sure that they can survive and thrive on their own. And, uh, you know, yeah, you're not, you're not raising a, a pal. No. Now you can be friends with your kids and you have great relationships and all that stuff. And, you know, we're not saying that, but, uh, but yeah, you, um, you're not meant to be their best friend. Be friends with your, if you're a man, with your male friends and perhaps with your wife, those are your peers, not with your child. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Well, um, I want to shift gears into some recent news and some things that, uh, I know you have some, uh, announcements. Um, so Gavin Newsom, the governator, Gavin Gruesome, the emperor, lots of terminology to describe this governor. Of I've California. been calling him the great blasphemer because he, he went uh, across our country and put on billboards uh, Jesus's words to advertise that California will, um, you know, give abortions. That's right. And you think he did he do it in Florida as well? Yeah, he did it. He's done all it over. A, a bunch of places all over the country. Yeah. Well, that I think qualifies objectively as blasphemy. Uh, it is biblical. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think that's a derisive uh, term. I think that's just descriptive. Yeah, yeah. Um, but with that, so he had, uh, I guess, three choices in regards to A, B, 2098. Correct. correct. Option one, option two, option three. Yeah. And option one was to sign it. Option uh, two was to uh, let it go and therefore let it pass because of COVID emergency uh, uh, protocols that were still in place. So if he didn't sign it, it would pass. And then option three was to veto. The responsible thing to do is to veto because this thing is a massive attack on the liberty of doctors and a massive egregious attack on the patient's rights and and uh, the relationship between a doctor and a patient. So what did he do? At about 7.15 p.m. on a Friday after business hours and right before the weekend and the end of the weekly news cycle, yep. he discreetly and quietly signed AB 2098 into law on a document that was basically a CYA document where he wrote a couple of paragraphs uh, in support of AB 2098 with the caveat that, of course, this bill would only be applied in the most rigorous and strictest of circumstances to the most egregious cases where public safety is widely threatened by the free speech of this one doctor. Yeah, because he because he uh, um, acknowledged in in that same kind of vein that that there's some constitutional questions surrounding it, um, and I and I believe it will be challenged, and I and I hope so. Um, but uh, his uh, CYA write up on that is really uh, it's all directed towards COVID and what we had and all of that. Yes. This whole entire bill, and I and I I've, I've said from the beginning of this show that what they were going to do here in California, especially in other very blue States is try to remove all of the obstacles they had in the time that they did our lockdowns and they did this huge power grab and the people that annoyed them and the obstacles that they had in their way, they're going to try to remove that for the future. And this is what that is about. Too many doctors stood up. AB 2098 is known as the medical misinformation bill, and it's specifically tailored to silencing doctors who speak out against political ideology. Now, they've countenanced it under as, as all of the excesses of misinformation, disinformation, exactly. all of that. 
And the rationale is, of course, health and safety, which has been the rationale for all of the yep. indiscriminate closures uh, and selective. Their closures. entire power grab has it's been completely a power grab about health and safety. Everything that they do right now is That's a power right. grab about health and safety. Everything. Um, the COVID, uh, the uh, COVID stuff certainly, but the climate change uh, radical agenda that they're mm-hmm. going down will, is all under the guise of, of health and safety. Every single question or debate or topic or conflict that comes up politically should be viewed in the following way. Is this conflict, if it's resolved in one direction, going to make me and my community and my country more dependent or more independent on the state or the other way around? And if the answer is probably more dependent, you should vote against it. You should not support yeah. it. This is a, this is a nonpartisan way of looking at things. I think it's a it's a moral and and even non biblical, just let's say a concerned citizen way, a, a politically positive civilian way of looking at these power grabs. And I think this takes away a lot of the the passion and the partisanship. This bill, if you look at it on its face, it is a anti-constitutional, anti-First Amendment bill under the guise of health and safety. It has been circumscribed to only include the relationship outside the doctor-patient one, meaning doctor versus public, because they knew that it wouldn't fly at all if it was doctor-patient. However, we know that that's not the case because fake patients are going to start going to doctor's offices, targeting them who espouse publicly the improper or incorrect opinions, and they're going to then record and frame and, and video the interaction that the doctor would have publicly and then go and report him and say, you know, see this doctor is uh, taking out uh, his public views and putting them into the doctor patient relationship. Of course it's, it, it, it's going to shift. So it, it's going to harm um, California <sighs> huge. too, because there's already, I mean, we know many, many doctors that have left and are going to other States I know um, them personally. and, and there's going to be, far more of that because of this directly. I, Starting I, January 1, 2023, yeah. when this goes into effect, doctors are going to flee the state in the same numbers and same droves as wealthy individuals and corporations did when the state corporate and individual income tax rates were increased. Yep. It's it's consequential, it's obvious, it's irrefutable, and it's inevitable. Yeah, yeah. And and because it's the, it's the best of people will leave That's to right. go and have the ability to conduct themselves the way that they see mm-hmm. according to their conscience and their morals. Um, so we only have a couple more minutes. You've got something else that by the time people will have uh, uh, heard this episode. I will have filed a lawsuit in concert with and in support and assistance of the Liberty Justice Center, a nonprofit legal foundation and firm in Chicago, challenging AB 2098, the medical misinformation bill, on the grounds that it violates the U.S. Constitution and First Amendment rights of physicians, in addition to many other stipulations, with the goal being to preemptively arrest the implementation of this bill into law on January 1 so that it never actually gets birthed. This is like <laughs> the uh, the abortion challenge. <laughs> I'm trying to get this thing completely stillborn so that it does not come out of the body on Amen. January 1. Amen. That is the goal. That is what we're trying to accomplish. And I know that I'm not the only one. I spoke to Dr. Simone Gold yesterday mm-hmm. on our podcast. First interview she's had other than Daystar, a religious broadcasting studio out of Dallas, since her release from federal prison. Yeah. And she said she knows her group and several others are also in the process of filing lawsuits. They're yeah, going to go great. after this hard and strong. That's great. So this is great news. I'm proud and happy to be a part of this. And I'm really delighted that this um, uh, nonprofit institute and legal firm is helping to support and fund this venture. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show and spending this time with me. I, I enjoyed really it. It was great. You. It's, <laughs> it's so awesome much greater to in person too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so how do people follow you? Yeah. Freedom from Fear, my new book, and my previous book that came out late 2021, United States of Fear, and my Substack account, and my Facebook, and my Twitter, and whatever else is left, LinkedIn has been killed off by Bill Gates and Microsoft, can be found in one location, which is dissidentmd.com. My website is called DissidentMD, and my Substack is also called DissidentMD, because if you events and write and publicize and speak of any opinion which is counter to the narrative, you automatically, to this day here in the United States, become a dissident. 
Yes. Well, uh, from one dissident to another, <laughs> thank you for coming on. I appreciate you. And thank you, uh, Bryce. thank you, folks. Thank you for joining us on Liberty Station. I hope you enjoy the show. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us on Rumble, Liftable TV, or Spotify, or anywhere that you consume podcasts. Please text these episodes to your friends and support our advertisers.